Hi guys, welcome back to Into the Light, a different life story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day, an early day for me this morning to get up to speak with Bruce Sanchez. Uh, Bruce is a caring, courageous leader who is nowadays living a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful life. Uh, you know, we are a little bit alike in, in the passion that we bring to our life. And therefore, it was so cool to have him on my show to bring him on. Uh, but and of course, that was not always the case. So today, I'm so delighted to have the courageous leader, Bruce Sanchez, here with me in my uh, studio, beaming in from beautiful Melbourne in Australia. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure and honor to be in this show with you when you're in your show. And of course, you, you have got a strong Aussie accent there. Yes, everyone can hear that. Yeah, about <laughs> so your story didn't start in, in Melbourne, did it? Where do you come from no. originally? <laughs> well, You'll be you'll be surprised. I actually born in Melbourne. Oh, excellent, excellent. <laughs> but I just grew up in Spain. Uh -huh. That's where I where I grew up. Right. My, my whole my whole life, and I came back almost seven years ago yeah. with no English. Oh. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh yes, oh yes. I thought I knew how to speak English, and then I moved from Germany to England. And I, oh, and I remember the first night out, I was actually best in school in English. And then I went out with five girls and uh, I might have, they might have as well spoken bloody Chinese. I did not understand a single freaking sentence. And you think, what the hell? What the hell? What did I learn in school? Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. that was such a reality check. So I understand yeah. you. And this is a bloody, bloody scary and lonesome feeling, isn't it? Yeah. So, but, yeah. I mean, I just remember my first time when I came back, when, when I left was a little baby, I couldn't remember anything. And then imagine myself landing in the uh, Melbourne airport with my Australian passport. <laughs> I'm not speaking English. It's like, and I thought I was good at English in back in Spain. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought, ah, that that will be easy. Just give me sort of a few weeks. Oh my God! When I land in the airport, it's like, what? <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah, it's like this is not English. No, That's, no way. Yes, <laughs> right. Something else. <laughs> and oh goodness gracious! So, so as a little baby, you went to uh, Spain, but you didn't go alone. So mommy and daddy went with you there? Or? Yeah, yeah. My, my whole family moved back uh, to Spain because they lived in, in Australia for nearly 10 years, something like that. And they moved back to Spain and just where I grew up. And I spent my whole life. Wonderful. And I came back, like I said, seven years ago. Mm. Best decision I ever made in my life. <laughs> now, people could have, would, of course, argue, come on, Spain, romantic, healthy Mediterranean diet, a lovely lifestyle, relaxing. You know, those cliches <laughs> that people have. <laughs> I've been to Spain, both as a tourist and, and, you know, I've got an interest in people and Spain 
has been hit hard by recessions over the right. the last few years. Unemployment is huge, and there has yeah. been there there are many many social problems there. Yeah. Um, Corruption. Did it's you? A big one. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately, and and yeah. it is. It is what it is. So, how was your life there? What did you do when you grew up? What what was the what job did you take on? Yeah, well, in the beginning, I worked with my family, which I didn't like, because my I mean, working with my family, <laughs> you know, the role that you are in your family, you keep it at work. <laughs> you know that there is not such a thing. That, no, you when you're working, your your role as a brother, or as a yeah. son, or whatever. It, that's yes. <laughs> so we, I started working with my family in construction, which I hated at that time, mm. didn't like it. And well, and my family, my parents, um, they didn't get along well mm. when I was a little kid. They argue a lot. Or, well, they even went a bit further than that, than words. So I grew up in, a, we had, everything materialistic speaking my father was rich we had everything like stuff like house um, cars and everything but they were arguing all the time and sometimes like i said further than words and when when i grew up as a child seeing that at home that created um how to say this an unstable uh, environment. You don't know what's going to happen each night or each day or, you know. So was, was there alcohol involved in your parents? In my parents' alcohol, my mother was, because this came from years ago, right? Before I born. And yeah, my mother was dealing with depression and taking prescription prescription drugs and then sometimes alcohol. And then when my mother started doing that stuff, start arguing with my dad, screaming, yelling, and then my dad just, you know, exploding and hit my mom. And that that's what I, and I saw that like a, several times when I was a little kid. Mm. And that uh, created, uh, for me, was like a, was a big trauma because mm. um, everything I went, uh, um, any situation, whatever, in a park or in the beach or in the cinema, whatever. As uh, at the time, I heard someone arguing. I was connected to that, and I was freaking scared. I was shaking, my hand was sweating, and I had to run because I couldn't handle that. Was when when I was a little kid. Mm. So, but I we are both the best childhood. <laughs> no, please, but we are both the same, the same age thereabouts, and uh, certainly when you grow up at that time and have this kind of childhood trauma, no one really cares about. I mean, there was no counselor around, no, no, no one to talk to, no one for you in school to go to and say, "My parents have got uh, have no. got have a fight, and I feel awful about that." No one was helping you, so there, there you were laying down already a lot of trauma, a lot of scars deep inside that then 
you know, program you in your further life to, to, you know, maybe do stupid things or will contribute to you doing stupid things. Correct. Correct. That helped me. Yeah. Because at that time, my mom, like, don't talk about this to anyone. It's no one. Mm. This is no one business. The, yeah. What happens here stays here. Mm. And then, you know, and then, okay, I have two, two more brothers and, we we we, we coped or we dealt this with how we could, mm. and then for me growing up in that environment uh, led me. Let's say led me. It was my choice after all, but led me to start trying experiencing with some substances in a, at earlier stages of my life. When I was thirteen, I started mm. trying cocaine. Thirteen years old, mm. I had money at home, and then I need to escape some somehow. You know, so it was money everywhere at home. And I took some money. Uh, let's try something, go with friends. I paid everything, you know, like <laughs> had a lot of friends around <laughs> to have a party, you know. <laughs> and that's how I started trying, you know, uh, cocaine and smoking and, you know, like a party. It was fun in the beginning, obviously, it was fun. But the, the I, I don't know how to when when was the, the that moment when that shifted from party to necessity, right? Because it was like a now and then, maybe a week in a month or every two months. I was still young, right? But when I turned 15, 16, it became a bit more open. Right. When when I turned 18, that was like not every single weekend. And from every single weekend, now every time I had money. It could be a Monday, it could be a Tuesday, it could be a Wednesday, anytime. And the in the um the thing or the the big problem with cocaine, I mean, if we need to make a difference from other drugs such as heroin, it's not like a physically uh, physically visible. You you can you can you can tell. If someone is addicted to that, unless you see actually seeing doing the stuff, because you cannot tell by and your body, my body, you know what I mean? Unless I'm super high, then you can see my eyes and stuff. Mm. So it's not physically uh, destructive. It's more, it's more mentally, more psychologically, mm. but it is very addictive. Mm. Very at that time we thought, nah, cocaine is not, it's not like a herring. Nah, you can get addicted to that. You can stop any time. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't. <laughs> That's the word. I can stop this whenever I want. All right. Yeah, were now. you still working in construction or were you at that time? At that time, yes, yeah. correct. So it's interesting that uh, in that in construction, and you use the the we uh, word. So there were lots of your friends were actually doing cocaine in in Spain. Is that yes. so? What was the price of of a of a line or how you how did you buy uh, it? That was uh, grand, grand grams. Yeah, yeah, it was at that time because it wasn't wasn't the old currency it was pesetas. Yeah. But yeah. when we, we shifted to euros, it was around 50, 60 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that is how long would that last you? Uh, in the beginning, a lot. At the last on my last year, that was that was not, not even an, a startup. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, maybe in one night up easily for me for myself three, yeah. four, five. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
And that's, of yeah. course, that's where the money really comes in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Goodness gracious. Uh, I mean, I did the maths. Um, for me as an alcoholic, um, I would use 30, 40, 50 dollars worth of alcohol a day um, uh, at the end. And that if you add that up, that's a hell of a lot of money because that was every money. day without fail. Um, yeah. But then again, if you then get into trucks, you often add another zero to that. And then, of course, the question is where does the money come in? Yeah. Uh, was construction really so lucrative to support you there? Or... Oh, I, I, I was I was stealing money from home mm. until I, until the money was gone, and I didn't have any money, so I started like borrow stuff, <laughs> not stealing stuff from others. I was stealing money from home, not from uh, other people, because I wasn't mm. I wasn't that that. I mean, I, I feel like a really ashamed if I, if I was doing something like that, but from home I didn't care, you know. <laughs> but I was I was. Unable to go to someone and, and, and assault someone to get money, I was so scared to do something like that. Mm. But at home, I didn't care at that time. I didn't care in a way, right? Mm. Then I regret it each time, but yeah, mm. but it didn't stop me anyways. Mm. So yeah. you were clearly a high-functioning addict. You kept your job. Uh, you, you had still some moral compass to guide you away from crime or really from prostitute prostituting yourself um, yeah, or correct. doing anything like that. I mean, yeah. there are many reasons or many ways how, how addicts choose or mm. feel pressured to, uh, to make money. So yeah. um, I'm so pleased for you to hear that. But uh, I mean, how, how did your family respond to that? I mean, first of well, all, my family, yeah, my family knew it before I reached them out, like saying, I need help. They knew because it was, obvious at the end it was kind of obvious but when i when i reached out my first my mom then my dad my mom obviously started crying but it was a good reaction anyway because i was so determined mm. because i said i need help mm. i tried on my own i remember i was i did it on my own i was sober with nothing for nine months like a pregnancy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then relapse again. And, and I remember that summer, that was summer of 2002, the year before the, the, the 2002, I was, I remember that summer. I, I was alone. I rented an apartment. I didn't pay anything. I didn't pay the rent for three months. I didn't pay the bill, anything. And I saw myself in a position that I said, look, because I remember, I clearly remember that, that day, I was consuming so much alone with no friends, didn't want to see anyone. I think I was taking seven, eight grams that night, just me. And I said, my, oh, I stopped this shit. Or th um, maybe in English doesn't make a lot of sense, but in Spanish makes a lot makes a lot of sense. And I said, "Oh, I stop this, or this thing is gonna stop me." It makes perfect. Makes Bruce, it makes perfect sense. Um, it will, and that's that's the outcome for us, isn't it? Either we get yeah. our shit together, or we are in jail, or we are dead. These are the dead. three options. There are there are no other options for no. an addict. 
And I'm so pleased for you that you that you got that insight yourself. Yeah. What did the cocaine do to you? Which, what, how did it change you? Why was it so attractive to you initially? And then yeah. what did it do at the end? Yeah. Initially, I was very sociable because I was shy. I was very <laughs> introvert because I was seeing all of shit at home. My mom don't don't talk to anyone. You know, I was like, you know, like very shy and very yeah. care of people. Yeah. And every time I was um, doing some yeah. doing some drugs, I felt like oh, like I could talk to anyone. I was hugging people, and you know, feeling like cared, uh, loved, wanted. You name it. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Exactly. <laughs> it was so, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Right. Uh, so, but then, then things change with every drug. They change. So the initial mm. high is gorgeous, and you don't need much for it, and the world is the best. And right. then so, uh, there's a point when you do no longer take it to be so so called high, but mm. it is to to numb the pain. Yeah, and correct. what what did the drug do then? Did it actually numb the pain? It made it worse. <laughs> it made it worse because uh, the pain was there, and I was Arima was starting to be aware of my problem. Like I was having a problem, actually a problem. I was I knew it deep down. I knew that I was doing something wrong, but I didn't care. <laughs> But I start to care, mm. and that's when I really start realizing that I was killing myself. And that using that using that drug at the I mean at, at the end of my journey with the drugs, I was feeling like going alone. No wanted to see anyone. That, do you remember the first thing like being so open, so sociable? Mm. It did the reverse. Mm. Now just more introvert, even even more than when I was a little child right more introvert didn't want to see anyone i was like just consuming to myself and and not understanding why i was doing that but i couldn't stop it either was it shame and guilt that you were an addict yeah because i was stealing money and then my my parents and my brother knew it and and i was feeling bad to myself but I, and i was all the time regretting I'm not going to do it anymore. And then two or three days later, doing it again. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of, yeah. So you're a failure constantly in your own constantly. eyes, indeed. Yeah. And that's how I felt. And that is so brutal. And as a failure, you don't want to admit to it. I didn't yeah. have any leaderships. No, wrong. I had a lot of leadership skills at work. And at, uh, even at the height of my addiction, I was still sort of a leader. I was emotionally retarded i was hurt i was i was full of shame guilt and whilst we call ourselves high functioning alcoholics or high functioning addicts i doubt that i was really high functioning i was sort of functioning i was that i kept a job yes i um kept a, kept a marriage kind of it is yeah, no, guys. If you are, don't 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 put lipstick on a pig and call yourself high functioning, 
Um, most of us are not. Uh, that's and that's the reality check. And yeah. forgive me out there if I, if I try to if if I'm blunt here, but it is it is important that we speak the truth and yeah. that we are as as leaders we need to be honest. Honesty and transparency and authenticity yeah. is is the key, and uh, that's what Correct. we are doing here. So, guys, don't don't be upset if I sort of chip away at your own mask that you've carefully put in front of your face. Um, it is what it is, and uh, the good news, though, is I mean, if you look at Bruce and me, if we two can get our act together, then there's probably a chance for you out there. So, and <laughs> exactly, and so so Bruce, you you spiraled out of control um when was that about in your life how long ago was that uh when i took the the, the decision to stop and reach out my family it was september 2002 yeah it has to be 2002 yeah. i yeah. nearly i nearly forgot it already yeah. nearly 20 years ago yeah. 20 years it was beautiful beautiful oh. and how did your your family respond and you said the night that you that you said i need help yeah. there were the tears of your mum uh, what did your dad say my because at that at that time my parents got divorced yeah. obviously yeah right my dad didn't believe my mum because my dad was living in a different uh, he was living in portugal at that time oh i see and then he thought my mum was talking bs and then when I when I went to see my father, I told him in person, no, no, that's that's happening, yeah. and that's real. And actually, had a letter that I wrote to him because why not? Because I, I went to a therapy program in Spain, an amazing program. It took me eighteen months. Coaching Beautiful. didn't exist in Spain. I mean, no one talk about hear about coaching in Spain at that time. So, but I wrote a letter to my dad expressing all my feelings that I had with him, to him. Excellent. And I was really scared because my dad never, never raised a hand to, to us. Never. He did it to my mom, but never with us. Huh. But I was so freaking scared of him because I saw his reaction. So I wasn't, I was really scared about what if I say this? I don't know how is he going to react? And, and I said, you know, Effort. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. And and look, these are my feelings. And he knows. He he deserves to know from me how I feel and how I've been feeling for the for these years. Mm -hmm. And my dad, who is someone who never cries, <laughs> he never cried. He started like crying. He was. He told me, "I never thought you were scared of me. Never thought it." And he felt really bad. I, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the intention. My intention to make him feel bad. I was just trying to explain him how I was feeling. And, and I know he felt, he told me he felt really bad about it because, you know, parents, they, they're not meant to hurt uh, their, their children, right? And one of the lessons that I've learned from that program, because I was blaming them all the time for my using, for my use. Now, because of them and the, and the, the therapist, one of the things that never, I'm never gonna forget is like, did someone point in a gun in your head to do drugs? No, right? What do you mean? No one forced you to do it, right? You did it. Yeah, but because, 
shut up, cut the BS. Well, man, you did it because of you. Forget about your parents. Your parents did the best they could with the resources they had at that uh, moment. And that's it. And how so, beautiful. Blame them. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? You have just nailed it. And it is, for me, there was so much resentment and anger in me. And a lot of things, bad things had happened to me. So yes, there were good reasons to drink, but ultimately I did not have the resources. I did not have the, the ability to deal with negative emotions. I had no idea. The only thing I had learned in life is to numb the the negative emotions and pretend that everything is all right and work harder now the work harder yeah that, that works for a little while you can distract yourself but the problems don't go away so but i had never learned to deal with the problems i had never learned to communicate yes in my job i could communicate very effectively could i communicate when it came when it came to those things that really mattered my family my wife No, my wife and I had fights. Ah, oh, uh, not not physical, but oh, the Third World War is would be nothing compared with the fights that we two had. And mm. it is such a strange thing. I keep saying nowadays it's virtually impossible for my wife and me to have a row. We both, if one of us says, then the other says. Okay. Do you need a bit of time, or, or you know, is is are you hungry? Have you eaten something? Do you want Do you want a cup of tea or something like that? We look after each other, and very quickly it turns out that whatever was happening there in this moment had nothing to do with us. It was an email that she got uh, from someone, or or she was maybe hungry, angry, lonely, tired, all these things that set you up to be. And it is, nowadays we've recognized that. But that took me seven years. And for her, it took her seven years to follow, I guess, my leadership. Because like you, I ended up in a rehab program. Um, I was four, uh, four weeks inpatient. And then thereafter, basically, I kept working on myself with some guidance. And it was the most beautiful transformation. And it was, yeah. I'm I'm I've been so bloody blessed uh, where I am now, and the same with you. So, I hundred percent find I hundred percent feel you. I I know where you have been, and I, I recognize myself, and that's painful actually. <laughs> But the pain is there. The pain we have been there. We have gone through so much worse pain. To actually see your dad crying must have been a very powerful thing. How how did the relationship between your dad and yourself then move forward? Yeah, Be to be honest, my relationship with my dad was always good. A good relationship. I mean, he was a good dad with to us. Yeah. He was always the good guy and my mom was the evil, right? <laughs> That were the, the, the roles. And now the relationship with my parents, my brothers are amazing. I'm still having a special relationship with my mom because my mom is still in depression. She's still on um, pres prescription drugs. And um, yeah, she never turned the page. 
she still dwells in 1995. That's the, the year that, that got divorced. And she's always reminding, uh, your dad did this to me. I'm, I'm, always, I'm, I'm trying to help her, but my mom, I know that my mom doesn't want to get helped because that's the way she wants to live. Mm. And there's just little things that I can do to, to, mm. to make a, her life better because she doesn't know anything like that. And then she, she's, she don't, doesn't see the, the way out of that life or that, or that year, let's say that year, because she's still dwelling on 1995. And but now uh, for me, it was really hard for me to see that on my mom. Like she was repeating the pattern, the pattern, the pattern and being trapped in that circle, right? And, and now that I, the, the, well, now that I became a coach here and a uh, high performance coach, now my mom, when, when we talk, she sometimes asks for advice. Nice. Yeah, she, she relies on a lot of me, right? Because she says, oh, I wish I could be like you. You have the age. You're not as old as me. You know, that kind of BS, right? He's always, <laughs> if it's not the age, it's the, no, <laughs> I'll bet. So, but you can reinvent yourself absolutely anytime absolutely absolutely the oldest uh person that went through the rehab program that i attended was in the mid 70s uh yeah. a, a very heavy duty alcoholic and she turned her life around and please there is no stopping if you put your mind to it, there is no no age limit. I'm sorry, you're 49 and turning 50 tomorrow. That's it. Sorry. That's it. No more turning back. No, bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. The past bullshit. does not equal the future. At any one right. time, you can make a difference. It's as simple as that. Oh no, that's brilliant. So 2002. So you started opening up to your to your parents. You had started engaging with a drug program uh, in Spain at that time. Spain. Yeah. When did Portugal change its attitude towards drugs? Because Portugal is nowadays a, a leader in drug uh, programs because they have basically decriminalized many drugs and rather put instead of. Uh, dealing with with addicts as 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 legal problems they're now dealing with them more as a um as a health problem what it should be because okay. addiction is a disease that can be treated so when did that occur can you recall the portugal uh well i saw my uh, with yeah um because my parents went to live in portugal in 1990 can't remember, yeah. <laughs> 98, yeah. 90, before 2000. Yeah. And then he was coming in and out to Spain. I see, I see. Yeah, and then he came back again to Spain in 2004, five. Yeah, okay. Around that. So now, if, now uh, it must yeah, have been uh, after that. It must have been after that that the legalization actually occurred. Yeah, and that, I uh, never heard it. Yeah, what yeah. you're saying, and yeah. I wasn't aware no. of that. Yeah. Now there's, uh, it is, because that is, of course, the, the issue with regards to how does society deal with addiction? Uh, is society actually criminalizing it? which means that people even more going into hiding and even more are afraid of coming out and seeking help? Or is the society actually describing addiction as a disease and therefore uh, are now helping people? We see a change here in the last year or two. Our police mm -hmm. 
has been more focused on health and rather than giving fines for drugs, they are opening up and, and saying here there are programs, uh, that is where you might seek help. So health referrals rather than um, giving a ticket or whatever it is that they think they have to do. And that is something in my eyes extremely positive because the more we can actually open up and say that addiction is not something that you you are such a bad person. You're not a bad person. You Something has happened to you that you want to numb your pain. And now you're trapped in that. That is a disease. That is, you know, you're diabetic and you need insulin. As simple as that. So no one would say, oh my God, I'm a diabetic, I'm a bad person. Or if you have got asthma and you need your Ventolin, uh, your, your inhalers, no one would blame you. How dare you be an asthmatic? Um, yet we have got that problem with addiction and with, with people who, um, who have never found better ways how to deal with their suffering than to numb it. So it is a disease, guys. And as with every disease, there are treatment options. And the only thing that stands in your way is you yourself. If you can... If you can focus on that first tiny little step, which is huge for you now, that is to admit that you're in trouble and to accept that there are actually people out there who might be able to help you. That is a, a tiny step and a huge mountain at the same time. Uh, but if you can do that, then Bruce has done it. Bruce has has sought help and I have sought help. I, Bruce, you did it out of your own wish. My, for me, it was my wife who, who dragged me literally into the rehab. But once I actually saw rehab uh, for what it was, a place where I can get better, there was no more stopping. And this was so beautiful. It was so, so, so beautiful. But going back to, to then, you were in Spain, you were um, the cocaine you ditched, you were starting to learn new coping mechanisms as part of rehab. So you started to reinvent your life. Were you still in construction? Or were you then moving on? Were you trying to find different avenues? Well, I was, to... Yeah, well, I was doing the program because it took 18 months because it was a problem to go once or twice a week in a group, therapy group. Yeah. So while I was doing the program, I, was, I kept myself working with my family. But as soon as I finished, I, I said, look, for me, this is time for me to emancipate. Yeah. Right. And what can I do? I was 20, can't remember, 23, 24 years old. No education. I didn't finish high school um, with no experience other than construction, something that I'm, <laughs> I wasn't going to try. So I, I like sports and, and kind of security. So I, I remember it was a summer in Spain as a lifeguard, which I enjoyed, but it was just for the summer. <laughs> then I drove an ambulance for a private hospital in Spain yeah. too. And then I became a security and bodyguard. Because I, I like that kind of activity, and then I became a Krav Maga instructor. I don't know if you what is if you know what's Krav Maga. Very much about. so. It's one. Of, I very much know Krav Maga, and I've trained it myself. But tell us, tell us about Krav Maga. 
Well, Krav Maga, it's, I mean, it's a Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew word, means uh, combat contact, something like that. And the principle, the foundations of Krav Maga is just respond uh, uh, against an attack or threat, right? It's not initiate something, you need to resolve a conflict when, when it's already started, if you can, right? And you can do whatever you can, which means it's, it's you have to protect yourself, right? If something's threatening you with a weapon, and if the only thing they want is just your wallet, for example, might give it the wallet. Don't pull yourself in. But if it's a if it's a real threat that your life is in is in danger, there is no rules. There are no rules here, my friend. Mm -hmm. You need to resolve the situation as quick as you can mm -hmm. and run away. And one of the things like that really caught me is the discipline, the, the exercise, the physical condition, because it's really hard, mm. really hard with the training, the stress training, mm. a lot of push-ups, sit-ups, stand-up, hitting. You condition yourself in your mind to push a little bit harder each time. Even when you believe in you can't, mm. there's always something else in your tank, believe it or not. That, Oh my God, that was like something that I really, really wanted to. I remember when, when I saw it for the first time, where you've been my whole life? I've been looking for you. I cried my God. <laughs> uh, it is amazing. It is, uh, it's, it's honest and it's raw and it is beautiful. Uh, it comes from the Israeli Defense Force and uh, there it was really created. Originally, it, it came out of brawling um, from um, uh, the, the founder of Krav Maga was, in, uh, was basically living at Nazi times and the brown shirts, the Nazis, were basically beating up Jews. So a few Jews got together and, and uh, the founder was, uh, was a wrestler. Uh, himself, so he basically very quickly on the on the streets developed systems to quickly deal with very real violence, life threatening mm -hmm. violence. And that was the origin of it. But the the Krav Maga is such a simple system because it uses normal natural responses of your body and enhances them and uses them as weapons. So there is no, there are no artificial stances. There are no weird, the crane, none of that. It is just simple. Hey, come on, man, let's, let's yeah. just talk. And then from there, that's, that's where, Boom. exactly. <laughs> so, <Boom. and laughs> but what I like is, there is a clarity in that. And there is a clarity in the response. In this particular case, you have con you've done the de-escalation. You've tried to get out of it, but now there is a moment that you have to react. And it is becoming clear to you in your mind. You don't like that situation. You don't mm -hmm. want to hurt a human being, but it is becoming clear that at this moment in time, you need to deal with that. You cannot walk away. You cannot take drugs to forget the pain. You cannot do it. There is, you need to respond right now, right here. And that acceptance is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it can be scary when I talk to others. 
about being willing to use extreme violence to stop a fight because I have been in fights and I know what violence does to you on the receiving end and that I'm now very calm and collected and very happy to do whatever it takes to win this fight. That is scary for others because they have not dealt with that decision making. Um, mm. Yet, for that, I have I've come to terms with that decision. Should it arise one day, I've made that decision already. So let's extrapolate. Would it not be interesting that if you if you train in this way, you could also train your mind for other things? So you know, sooner or later, you will have depression. That's virtually a given. One in three of us will develop a low episode in your life. Would it not be cool to actually think about it, like training in Krav Maga or in self-defense, and you think, okay, this will happen. What would I do? Just as much as you say, this guy is throwing a punch. Well, how do I defend myself? What do I do with it? Um, and that's, you know, there, there is a response to that. Why not create in your mind responses to those things that will occur? Uh, from depression, anxiety attacks, your temptation to use or to drink again, um, you know, those kind of things. All these little things, you know, sooner or later, you will run out of money. It will, there will be another financial crisis. There will be this, there will be that. Why not imagine the situation and deal with it in your mind? Try different scenarios. What would I do if, would that not be a cool way how to live your life? Mm -hmm. And that is so beautiful. There you've got discipline. And Krav Maga is about taking action. Recovery is about taking action. Living a beautiful life is about taking action. So there are so many, so many things that are together. And often these things are interwoven. Because yeah. imagine you start, you start going to a Krav Maga studio and, and you're learning that. What do you think will happen? Initially, you will feel like shit because you haven't done a push-up for 100 years. Okay, but then after six weeks, what do you think? Your body will say, who? Huh, that feels good. So suddenly there is that. And then, yeah. then you, you go a bit into sparring there and, and you have done a minute and you actually survived that. And you actually thought, wow, I did handle myself. Can you imagine that there is maybe not so much shame and guilt there, but actually a sense of pride? A sense mm -hmm. of of you getting stronger, and what was to happen if you build up on that, and then build up on that, and build up on that, and that's exactly what Bruce has done, man. <laughs> Bruce, that's that's where you were. You you are not just doing a bit of Krav Maga now, are you? Uh, well, now I'm. I've been teaching Krav Maga for the last. Uh, Nearly 10 years. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> <Now> therefore, <laughs> you've done it once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm on a different stage of my life. Even when I came back to Australia, I was teaching in IDF Caulfield, mm. which is a Jewish gym in a Jewish area. That was for me like, oh my God, I couldn't even believe it. I was working with uh, people from Israel. Yeah. Uh, they were bringing instructors in from Israel. And I became a head instructor in IDF Caulfield. Oh, 
Beautiful. I became a head instructor and I went to, <laughs> in 2018 was one yeah. of my last workshops. Yeah. I went to Gallipoli, perhaps in, in Brisbane to teach, uh, to, to instruct a, a knife fighting for a group of um, uh, military people. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. See, um, I mean, this, you have grown so much from this hurt little boy. Uh, in in Spain, who was then numbing himself in his teenage and early tween years, and then rock bottom, and you have reinvented yourself. You have become this new guy who said, "Actually, Dad, um, construction not really mine." And you doubled a bit here and there, and now you're head instructor. You are you are working hard, but in jobs that you do enjoy, you have changed your life so much, and it's amazing. Is are nowadays little Sanchez running around in your house? No, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, no. says. <laughs> My wife and I decided no, not to have kids. Yeah. and um, my beautiful wife, she's Colombian, and and. And we decide not, not to have, not for just because we don't feel that cold. Mm. So no, no, decide I, not that's to obviously your choice. But I'm, I was, what I was trying to say, or where I was wanting to lead was that with all the experiences that you have accumulated in your life, you would be such a different dad. There is often the, the thought that, you know, Granddad has beaten dad, so dad has beaten you. And then there is this, it's it's like a destiny. You will beat your children. And that's so not true. Because as as parents, we often, not we often, I, I, I state that no parent really wants to hurt their children. So unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath. And... But we do what we what we what we at the time think is best, and that's what our parents did, their grandparents did. But it doesn't mean to say that once you are an addict, uh, that your children will become addicts. That's not a given, because you, Bruce, have changed your life around. So you have become a leader now, a leader within your family, a leader within your your within Krav Maga, obviously, uh, a leader at work because your attitudes will make you a natural leader. Even if you might not be up there in your in the ladder of rank uh, within your work, but still you're a leader. And that has come from the hard work that you have put into your life. Man, I mean, it's, you, you called yourself earlier a leader. And when was the first time that you recognized that? That was you not are... long ago, to be honest, because uh, um, I was kind of confused with that <laughs> word because I associate leadership with hierarchy or, or, or authority. Exactly, and and it's not a leader. It's not. It's not. It's not a. Um, it's someone who inspires rather to um, impose or to force someone. Yeah. Um, because I was kind of confused, you know, with like leadership or leader, someone who commands and has his, his or yeah, her yeah. followers and everybody's follow him. But it's not. It's not at all. And for me, a, a leader is someone who, in, like I said, inspires 
other people. And for example, now in the prison that I'm working in, in, in Melbourne, I'm a correctional officer, and we we have we work in a team, and and I really I really like the team that I that I have right now. I'm not a, a supervisor; I'm a, just a, uh, an officer, but I do care oh. my team, and and because I know them, and I, I, and I know how to get the the best of them. Like you know, because we work really hard. Being in a correct in a in a correction uh, facility is sometimes can be really, really hard. So you need to trust your team. Mm. You need to trust the, 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 the people that you work with. Because sometimes could be, you know, I'm not gonna say they, 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 death or life, but sometimes we, we were facing situations, right? That's, that's how I ended up having PTSD last year. But for me, a leader is someone who, who inspired the team to, 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 to do the best, regardless of the position, regardless of the rank, ranking, regardless of whatever, right? Someone who is there, like you said before, show up mm. and inspires. And, and, and <laughs> then I, be, I fell in love with that concept, that meaning of leadership. And, and, and I said, you know what I deserve? I allow myself to see, to see me as a leader in that way. Yeah. And that's beautiful. I love the way you define that because that is true leadership. That is true, true growth and self-confidence. And with that, you calm things down and it is beautiful. You, with that, giving yourself the permission to be that person will allow you to be just that little bit different in your confidence. And you might walk into a situation and just by you being there, you de-escalate tension and you de-escalate maybe a, um, a very hurting prisoner who wants to lash out at the world and he can't lash out at anything else than a prison officer. But just you being calm and, and collected there, this can be such a powerful, powerful thing. And that's, that's yeah, now, oh, please, this is, and again, this is something that you have transformed into and that you keep transforming. Because here you were, you, you had all the trauma in your childhood. You had the trauma of the addiction. You got your shit together. And guess what? Life throws you more trauma. Yay, bring it on. That's a, And that is what it does. That's what it does. It is every bloody time. Every time I'm sort of coming out where I'm saying, yes, this is my year. And then life says, you wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. As, as if the gods up there are looking down and say, Stefan, look, he's getting too cocky. This is, we need to do something about that. <laughs> and that's what it happens. It is what it happens. But yeah. what we can do is give us permission to be ourselves. Give us permission to be the real us and work on that. You're going to your training. you giving your leadership to in your courses, in your, in your evening training sessions. You giving back puts probably a smile on your face and makes you stronger. You being out there and helping people through your coaching 
puts a smile on your face, therefore makes you stronger. There will be days when you think, oh God, I just want to roll up into a ball and leave me alone. But you will have recognized that these are normal days. You can't be always on the top of the world. Uh, there will be times when you're not so well. But nowadays, you and I, we can deal with that. In the past, oh, that was a catastrophe. Oh my God, I feel bad. Then you get guilty and shameful that you are tired, regardless that you've worked 16 hours straight for, <laughs> I don't know, 100 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it is beautiful to see you, Bruce, to, to actually the way you've transformed, to see the passion in your eyes. Man, this is this is gold. This is you are you are a powerful man and a true leader in my eyes. So and, and some people will will think, shit, this guy is good. Um, and they probably don't talk about me. They talk about you. Um, so, uh, Bruce, how can people how can people get hold of you? How can people work with you with and 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 take advantage of all your experiences? Well, um, I, I mean, people can talk to me or connect to me or reach me out. On, I don't like social media, but I'm, I'm on social media. But I have to be honest, I'm so overwhelmed with the social media but yeah if you type my name bruce sanchez you can find me either on linkedin mm. and um, facebook yeah. um i normally post uh, some some things about re in relation of uh, my experience and the coaching uh, high performance coaching practices that i'm doing right now and i'm not like i said i'm not very active so far because <laughs> you know um there are more things to do out of the social exactly. media. Right? Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. It is, yeah. um, I'm, that was never a huge part of me. And I agree with you. It is, it sometimes can be overwhelming and daunting. Mm. Um, yeah. But then again, this is, uh, it is more about people being able to get hold of you and being actually able to, to, to get that connection with you and to say, hey, you know, maybe there is time for me to open up and maybe there is time for them to say, okay, maybe this Bruce could be a good coach and could be the guy who doesn't take my bullshit uh, because you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So therefore it is, we both have been big bullshitters in our life. So therefore we can see through you guys out there uh, very easily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think you can hide? <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really, not, yeah. not with people like us, because we've done it all. We have invented the lies. We have all invented right. the places to hide our cocaine, our alcohol. We have been living in the shadows. No, 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 no. You say in Spain, um, uh, let me see if I can make a kind of sense. You cannot tell me a story when I'm on story, a storytelling, something like that. <laughs> you can't bullshit a bullshitter. I think the English have got that saying. I think that is very descriptive, maybe a bit rude, but so spot on because that's yeah. what we are as addicts. We are bullshitters. Yeah. We are liars. We are uh, yeah. uh, that we we show behaviors that we are not proud of, and the sheer fact that you guys out there are listening to Bruce and me means that. Yeah, there is probably something not so nice in your life. And we too are examples that 
you know, you can transform. There is, you have got, the only thing that stops you is you yourself. Yeah. You yourself, once you actually accept that, once you accept that you can make a change, it will not be easy, but you can make a change, I rest oh. assured, then this is where your life starts. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much for coming on my show. This was a, a fantastic thing, a fantastic interview. And I recognized myself in so many of your sentences. Um, it is. It was very humbling for me, this interview, because I felt a pain at times in my own memories. And I'm so grateful to you that you came and, and actually rattled my cage because I will live my day a little bit different today because I had, I've met you and it is, I will look at my leadership uh, without, you know, I will just, it, you planted a seed in me to relook at my life and that is beautiful. So I, I continue my transformation. I continue to deal with my traumas and you today have been an, an instrumental part in that. So for that, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so horrible. I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. I cannot believe it. I normally tend to talk too much. Now I don't know what to say. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. Bruce, thank you so much. It was great. And you guys out there, look after yourself. You live your life turn that page around and you start writing your story. You are the writer, you take control, you take action. And if you don't know how to, in a few short weeks time, my second, uh, my the second edition of Steps to Sobriety will come out through Dawn Publishing and it will be an amazing book. I loved the first edition of my book and we've, we've done a lot of rewriting there. So there will be lots of good material in there and I will let you know more in due course, but we are talking really, it is now mid-May. So hopefully within four weeks time, six weeks time, our book will hit the market. So Steps to Sobriety uh, will give you so much more information and will fit very perfectly with, with what Bruce and I have discussed today. So look after yourself, guys. Bye. Dream.